morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians 3. Uh, Before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him into this world to live among us, to be an example for us, uh, and to die for us. We thank you that there is not just a covering for our sins, but a power in the resurrection to overcome them. We thank you that this is This is grace, a gift freely given. We ask that your spirit would fill us this morning as we turn to your word once again. Fill us with the truth that these pages, these these verses would teach us. Father, we believe in your spirit. We believe in his word. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. So again, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. And and like we've done the last two weeks, we're going to be looking, I'm going to be reading the whole chapter, and then we're going to look particularly at verses 10 to 14. And as I've mentioned the last two weeks, and we'll just briefly mention it again, the reason why we're doing this is we're keeping... um, we're keeping the, the, the passage that we're particularly looking at within the context of uh, the larger argument that Paul is presenting. Uh, and probably more than the other, what will end up being four times that we're, we'll do this through, through chapter three, more than the other three times, um, the verses today we have to keep within context or we'll maybe... Uh, misunderstand what Paul's teaches. And, and I'll talk more about that as we get into it. But let's, again, start with chapter 3. Uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you the same, to write the same things to you is no trouble uh, to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have have reason for confidence in the flesh also, But if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of, the resurre- of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame and and, and with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So again, before we jump into our passage for today, verses 10 to 14, let's let's keep keep our bearings within the book. So as we think about the first two chapters of Philippians, Paul was kind of working his way through this, this cycle of arguments where each time he, each time he kind of came back to the start of his, his, his case, he would, he would build, build it out just a little bit more. And, And what we found Paul was teaching us in the first two chapters is that we are to, we are to seek sanctification in our lives. We are to live a life in a manner in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This will then inevitably lead us to to corporate, collected sanctification, where we start to think of others more significant than ourselves. And then this will kind of push us out into the world at large, into into evangelism. Now, I, I tried to make it clear as we were going through those first two chapters that Paul is not suggesting that we can't evangelize until we have reached a level of holiness and and we can't grow together as a church until he's not suggesting that at all. But rather, as we think about how do we want to proclaim the gospel message, the most important thing or probably the first thing that we need to think about is our own as our own selves, because after all, we are the only people that we can actually change. I may try to convince you to change. I may I may talk to you about change, but the only person that I can actively change is me. And so that's where we really must start. And I think 
Jesus is telling us the same thing when he talks about, you know, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye before you look at the plank in your own eye. The first place that we start is always me. And then we get to chapter 3. We have sort of this intermission between chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 where Paul is going to commend to us Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then Paul says, finally, and, and I suggested a couple weeks ago that the word finally isn't that Paul's saying now in conclusion, but, but kind of rather because we believe what, what he says in the first two chapters, because we believe this kind of kind of almost a now what kind of a thing. This is kind of how we want to apply this into our lives. And while Paul doesn't become explicitly uh, practical in chapter three and chapters three and four, he becomes much more practical in chapters three and four than he was in the first two chapters, where he was most most definitely more uh, theological in nature, doctrinal. In and so this isn't necessarily a new thought, but, but kind of a, 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 a thought beside it with the same outcome, the same goal to teach us about the growth of Christians. And so we get into chapter 3, and, and Paul tells us what he's going to do in the first verse. He says, I'm, I'm going to write to you about something that I've already written, but I think it's good to write it to you. I think it's safe. For me to write it to you. And, and again, I suggested that I think this is Galatians that Paul is referring to. Galatians is one of the first letters that Paul writes where Philippians is toward the tail end. It's not the last letter, but it's it's one of his later letters that he writes. And so there's a good amount of time, 10 plus years in, in between Galatians and, and Philippians. And we know that from other places in Scripture that Paul's letters start to get passed around and things like that. So it, it's, it's not too much of a stretch to think that the Philippians have read the letter to the Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is, is, is fighting, and I do mean fighting, against this idea that in order to be a Christian, you have to first be Jewish by physically becoming Jewish, meaning being circumcised. And Paul's like, this is a huge barrier, and the church is not for that. I think what Paul is, is really trying to show us throughout Galatians, and even in our chapter, in, in chapter 3 here in Philippians, is that, is that the, the idea of first being Jewish before you can, before you can know Jesus isn't, Jesus plus circumcision is circumcision plus Jesus, where we're putting the importance on, on physically becoming Jewish before you become Christian. And it's bad enough to think that there's things that we need to add to the gospel message that Christ has done at all. It's even worse when Christ becomes second or further down the line. And so he says, it's good for me to talk to you about the same things, and, and I want to specifically address you, and so he does. He says, look out for the dogs, verse 2. Dogs, the evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. And that's it's the same language that Paul uses in Galatians, which is why I think he's referring to his letter to the Galatians. Anyway, it's not, it's not important. It is important, but it's not as important. And so then from there, he says, look out for these people who are trying to, to, to twist the message. Look, we need to guard against them. We need to, we need to protect ourselves against them. And then instead of trying to tell us a plan of attack to try to defend against him, he, he again says, but, but rather let's maybe look inward before we try to fight a battle. When we, when we think about false teaching, one of the things, we, we can kind of approach false teaching in two ways. We can, we can see false teaching and then we can just fight it by saying you're wrong, or we can we can fight against false teaching by making sure that we're in the right. And I think that's what Paul's 
in, in essence doing here in chapter 3. He says, look out for these false teachers because here is the right action. This is how instead we should act. And he says, we are the circumcision. They're not the circumcision. We're the circumcision. And when he, when he says this, circumcision for Paul and, and how we should understand circumcision as well, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the, the mark by which the people of Israel were marked in order to show that they were gods. It was a mark of possession from God given to the people of Israel. And so you knew somebody was gods because of their circumcision. And, this, and Paul uses the phrase, we are the circumcision, meaning the same thing. How are we marked? that we know that we are gods and that others might know that we are gods. Well, we are marked by a particular type of worship, worship by the Spirit of God or in the Spirit of God. We are marked by the fact that we glory in Christ Jesus. We kind of obsess with Jesus. It's the, it's the, the whole point of what we're doing, right? And lastly, we put no confidence in the flesh. This is a mark that we are gods. We put no confidence in the flesh. Last week, we, we went into Paul's then example of himself to try to display for us this truth. What, it, what does it mean? What does it look like to, to, be, to be the real circumcision, to be marked for God through Christ? And he challenges his readers. So you might think that you're a good person. You might think you have reason for confidence in the flesh. And let's bring it into today's. He, 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 it, he might say, you might think, oh, you grew up in church. You have something special. You go to church each and every week. You're, you're a good person. I do good things. I feed the poor. I help people. Those are all, those are all valuable things. But, but Paul says, you might think that that's enough, but, but I have more of those reasons. I have more of those reasons. And Paul's like, I don't, even I don't think that they're enough. Even I don't think that they're enough. And he says in, in verse 8, he says, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He counted all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And for Paul to compare himself to what Jesus is, to compare his, his good actions to what Jesus has done for him, is really a silly endeavor. I was trying to think of a, a, comparable, a comparable thing that we might try to do. We might, we might take... Say Norway has a has a has a youth youth football program, right? You know, five, six, seven year olds up on on up through into high school. So it'd be like saying, let's take the the youngest uh, pee wee football team in in Norway school district, let's put them up against the Patriots. It's not even the same world. Yeah, they're playing the same sport, but it's not even the same world, right? Obviously, we wouldn't do something silly like that. But that's kind of what Paul is saying. He said the, the surpassing worth of Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, it's like comparing, it's like comparing something that doesn't even bear comparison. Christ is so superior to us in every form and fashion that it doesn't even make sense. He he goes as far to say as it, it, I count it as as loss for the sake of Christ. I I, I, suffer, I have suffered the loss of all things and and count them as as rubbish. We use the word rubbish because it puts to mind garbage. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's partially right. But he's being much more explicit. He says it's crap. It's dung. There isn't any value to the things that I have done because Christ has is so much more. 
But it's, it's not even that it's just that Christ's, Christ's sacrifice is so much superior to my goodness. It's that I, I, by putting my trust in my own goodness, lose Christ. He says, for the sake of, for the sake of gaining Christ, I count it as rubbish. I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And, and I talked last week about how, how in, in, our, in the world that we live in, we do many things that are, are compounding features of safety, right? So I drive my car. I drive the speed limit. I have an airbag in my, in my car. I have my seatbelt on. And I try to not drive recklessly, right? The, all, of those, all of those individuals are, are methods of, of saving me from an accident that might kill me. So in, in our worldview, we think that there, we can just compound our safety, our safety nets. But, but the Bible teaches us that it's not, it's not both. I don't look to Christ and say, he's, he's pretty good, but as a backup, I'm going to be good. Probably more, more of what we do, which is, again, the wrong way to think about things, is we go, I better be really, really good, and as a backup, Jesus will be my safety net. But by doing this, what we're actually doing is we're removing the, the reality of, of faith. Because faith is not this thing that I amplify. Faith is, faith is a complete abandonment of all other means of salvation and throwing myself, casting myself upon the work that Jesus has done for me. Faith in, is in its entirety, faith is, is knowing that I cannot save myself. And throwing myself upon Jesus. And when we take even a little bit of, of the work of salvation upon ourselves, we really take all faith away. Because it misunderstands what Jesus is offering us. He's not offering us the rest. He's offering us all. And that brings us to our passage today. I think that it's really very, very important for us to understand that Paul teaches us that it is nothing of me before he teaches what he teaches in 10 to 14. I think that's also the reason why we have what I'll call an interjection in verse 9. Let's just quickly go there. In verse 9, he, he gives this little interjection where he says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus and faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is what in grammatically would be an interjection into the sentence. So we could technically remove this little statement and the, the, what Paul is teaching us from the end of verse 8 all the way through 11 is one sentence, by the way. Grammatically, it's one sentence. We could take this little section out in verse 9, and the sentence still makes sense. So this is an interjection into the statement, basically saying that when you stand in the presence of God at Judgment Day, God, if, if, you, if you believe that Christ is your Lord and Savior, God does not look upon you and look at your righteousness or your good actions. He looks at Jesus' good actions. It's 
all of God and none of me. And so he interjects this little statement in here so that we so that we do not misrepresent what he is about to say. It is Christ's work and Christ's work alone that justifies me in the eyes of God. It's his free gift given to us, not by our own goodness, not by our own works, but his and his alone. It's vital for us to understand in order to understand verses 10 and 14. So, like I said, verses eight, the end of verse 8, starting with, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, all the way down to the end of verse 11. Like I said, it's one sentence. It's a run-on sentence. Paul's very, very good at run-on sentences. And so it could be a little bit confusing what Paul is saying as he comes into verse 10. And so this is how I think it should be read, or how we can best understand this. Let me get to the right verse here. Going all over the place. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then let's just for the sake of understanding the sentence, let's remove the interjection and be found in him that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Share suffering. And continues on. So, here is, to try to clear it up, here is what I think Paul is saying. He said, I, I count my actions, I count my actions, the things that I might look to and say, this makes me a good person, and I count them as rubbish, I count them as garbage, I count them as dung, so that I can gain Christ, so that I can be found in Christ, so that I can know Christ, verse 10, and then I can know the power of his resurrection. I count all that I am, all the fleshly things that I am, my good works, my, my station in life, I count them all as garbage so that I may know Christ and know the power of his resurrection. Now those two statements, know Christ and know the power of his resurrection, for Paul are, are, are synonyms. They're, they're interchangeable. He's repeating himself. Because in order to know Christ, we must know the power of his resurrection. So, we've got to get a little bit theological here for just a second. Let's think about this. Especially at Easter time, I often try to make this differentiation between what happens at the cross and what happens in the resurrection. And I want to make sure that this is very, very clear. I am not separating these things because they cannot be separated. But each part of the of the Easter story, the work of Jesus, has its own individual thing that we can think about. So when we talk about the, the death of Jesus, this is, the, this is the actual thing that the Old Testament sacrificial system is a mirror of. It's not the other way around. It's not the sacrificial system and the work that Jesus does on the cross is, is a mirror of the sacrificial system. It's the other way around, even though it comes chronologically at a different time. The work of Jesus on the cross is what gives the Old Testament law its power, gives the sacrificial system, excuse me, its power. So at the death of Jesus on the cross, what we, what we know happens or what we believe happened is a covering is made for all of our sinfulness. A payment is made. Paul calls it a propitiation, a pleasing of the God who, who demands perfection from us. 
The work of Jesus on the cross is the payment necessary to reconcile all of us to God. And without the resurrection, this is still true. We can have the death of Jesus, no resurrection of Jesus, and that payment is enough to, to, to pay the debt that we have, we have accumulated. But, but we don't stop there because Jesus doesn't stop there. What happens is he raises from the dead three days later, and what that is is the defeat of the consequence that sin has in this world. So in the Garden of Eden... God says to Adam and Eve, do not eat of this tree or you will die. The consequence of sin is death. Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So all of us having sinned, not just inheriting the sin of Adam and Eve, but having sinned volitionally, volitionally on our own, by our own choice, Having, having sinned ourselves, we all incur the judgment of death upon our lives. And what Jesus does is he pays the penalty, but then defeats the death. Defeats the consequence that sin has in our life. And this is what Paul means when he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because it is absolutely fantastic that whenever I die or when Jesus returns... I get to enter into heaven because Christ has paid my debt. But it's more than that. I am no longer bound to the consequence of sin in my life. I am free to not be bound habitually, but habit to sin. Before Christ, I can actually do no thing that is truly righteous because righteousness is, is entirely our service to God. Yes, I can do good things, but I cannot be righteous because my mind is not set upon God before Christ. After Christ, there's, there's still the ramifications, there's still the consequence of sin, but it has been released from me so that at the point of my salvation, the point of what Paul calls justification, what we as Christians call justification, I can now live my life in a different manner. A manner free from the consequence of the sins in my life. Not, not completely free, as we'll see in just a second. But already free. I may know the power of his resurrection. I get, I get rid of all that I am so that I can know the fullness of what Christ has done for me on the cross. Paul goes as far to say, he says, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We think that we think that suffering and persecution are these signs that we're doing something wrong. Actually, the Bible teaches us the complete opposite truth. That suffering and trial and, and difficulty that we go through in this life. is how we relate to Jesus most fully. It is not the only way that we grow as Christians, but it is a principal way that we grow as Christians. So we should not look at the sufferings in our life as if they're a punishment from God, but rather as a, as a movement of God to drive us closer to Jesus. In fact, it's a, it's a grace of God 
to suffer for his sake. And the evidence is very, very clear. If you look at church history, if you study church history in any, in any fashion, when persecution happens in the church, the church literally just explodes with evangelism and with growth and with change and transformation. We look at even today, we can look in the Middle East and in Asia and you know, in, in re, like China and places in China and, and, and in Africa. The church might seem like it's declining because we live in America and it's declining in America, but, but worldwide, the church is, is exploding because of persecution, because of suffering. People are relating to Jesus. By the way, that's the power of the resurrection. And Paul says something that is very, very important in verse 11. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes on, and I want, I want, to, I want us to get the whole picture of what he's saying here before we talk about this. Now, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So, again, let's make sure that we have the horse in front of the cart. Everything that we have as believers is because of the work of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is because Jesus, I will make an effort to make it me. Verse 12 is probably the most important verse in chapter, certainly the most important verse in chapter chapter 3. It might be the most important verse in Philippians, at least for how we want to understand Philippians. When he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We get it backwards far too often where we put our righteousness in front of the work of Christ. And once I've gotten a certain level of righteousness, then Christ will make me his own. But Christ has already made you, brothers and sisters, in Jesus. He's made you his own. And now, out of response, or let me say it in a different way, the effects of being Christ is that we seek to make it our own. We could jump back to chapter 2, verse 13. Now, this is why I think it's the effects, not, not the outcome. I think, it's, I think it's something that is being affected in us, not just something that we do out of response. In verse 13 of chapter 2, Paul says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's, it's God's actions that are bringing about change and transformation in your life. It's the power of, of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, convicting you to change, moving you and drawing you into new life. We are, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are, we are freed from the bondage of sin and death by the resurrection of Jesus. And now, because of all that, and because God is instilling it in me, I seek to make it my own, which is action. When, when James talks about faith in the book of James, when he says faith without works is dead, he's not saying that faith and works are two different things and we need to add faith. He's not contradicting Paul in Romans when Paul says it's by faith alone that you are justified. 
He's rather trying to he's, he's trying to explain to us what faith actually is. Faith is not a noun, something that I possess. Faith is an action, something that happens, that I do. And so I, I believe cognitively that Jesus has saved me, Jesus has freed me, but if there's no action to it, I have no faith. It's like saying that, that you can play baseball without a bat. Baseball is not baseball without a bat. Baseball is not baseball without a ball or bases. Right? Also, faith without works is not faith. It's something else entirely. That's what Paul is referring to here. He's not saying that my actions will, will reconcile me to God. He's saying because I've been reconciled to God, I now act. Because God is willing that action in me, I now act. I think it's extremely important that Paul gives these clarifications. He says, not that I have already attained it, obtained it, or am already perfect. And then in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's like, I haven't gotten there yet. But everything that I do, I, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies behind. I, I strain towards it. I work towards it. I, 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 I tr- press on to make it my own. By any means, I press on. Straining for it. These are all action words. These are all things of our exertion of, of will. He says again, I press on toward the goal. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the upward call of God, just so you know, is Christ-likeness. When we enter into heaven, when we enter into heaven, we will resemble Jesus I don't think that this is the point of what what Paul is, is saying, but I want to mention this. I think there's a, there's the moment in our lives where we find that we are justified. When I cast myself upon the work of Jesus, I'm justified in the sight of God. And there's a point in my life whenever I'm going to enter into, into eternity, either at my death or when Jesus returns, I'm going to enter into eternity, and there's another point in my life. And in between, there's this process of sanctification, which I've been talking about throughout throughout Philippians I think that, the, that God is working and, will, and, and, and placing his will inside of, inside of us so that we can change and transform. But I, but I also think that we can hinder that growth by our own lack of effort. Now, I say that with extreme caution. I say that with extreme caution. Because these things are not separable. Being justified by Christ and being changed by the work of the Spirit are not separable. This is the caution throughout Scripture. I think that we can sit back and not use the power given to us. And we won't maybe get the joy of participating and what God is doing in this world. And so let us act. Let's act in faith. Trusting not in our flesh. Not even in our efforts. But trusting in the promises that God has made, made to us. That he has, he has died to pay for us. He has raised to free us. And he has instilled in us the will and the work for his good pleasure.
Let's take hold and let us participate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are all in all. In that while we fall short and continue to fall short, you love us, care for us, And even when we are not striving towards you, you still are changing us. Lord, empower us to change, to be transformed by the power of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. Knowing that we have been freed from the eternal consequences of our sin. We have been freed to no longer live in the habits of sin that plagued our lives before we knew Christ. Release us, embolden us, strengthen us through the powerful work of your Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Not because we need this to be reconciled to you. But because we have been reconciled to you, we desire to praise and worship you through our lives. Strengthen and encourage us again this week to live out those things that you believe. In Christ's precious and holy name.